Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we do have a new baby here at the church, uh, Jasper Noah Lee was born July 20th to Zhang Yo and Danny Lee. Eight pounds, 12 ounces, 20 and a half inches, so good-sized little guy. So uh, that's his uh, brother Kingston and sister Vivian there. They're, they're happy to have the little guy in the home. So, hey, let's keep growing the church. Keep having those babies, all right? It's exciting. <laughs> According to a recent survey... 30% of workers feel unappreciated in their jobs. I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands, but let's see if your occupation made the top 10 list of most unappreciated jobs in America. So number 10, packaging and filling machine operators, 48%, almost half of those um, positions, those people in those positions feel unappreciated. Number nine is the gaming surveillance officers and investigators. These are the people that keep you from cheating at casinos. They don't feel very appreciated, just so you know. Uh, number eight, mechanical door uh, repairers. Didn't even know that was a position out there, did you? But somebody's got to fix those mechanical doors. They don't feel very appreciated. Uh, number seven, agricultural and food science technicians. We don't even know what they are, right? I, I thought maybe that's a cool way of saying farmers, but it's not. Uh, it says that agricultural and food science technicians assist agricultural and food scientists by performing duties such as measuring and analyzing the quality of food and agricultural products. And they don't feel very appreciated by you all. All right, number six, cutting, punching, and press machine operators. I know we have a few of those here at the church. About half of those people don't feel very appreciated. Number five is carpet installers. Number four is correctional officers and jailers. I would assume so, yeah, right? Inmates don't make them feel very appreciated. Number three is telemarketers. I thought that would be number one, didn't you? That should be number one. Anyone appreciate a telemarketer? Let's see. No? No? We got Christine? There we go. I'll give them your number next time they call me. <laughs> Number two, meter and utility readers. So like the person who's walking around putting a ticket on your car, they don't, is that the same, meter made? Well, not so quite the same. Like the gas Nipsco people? Oh, okay, well, they don't feel very appreciated. Um, <laughs> number one, 63% of laundry and dry cleaning workers do not feel appreciated. I don't know why. You drop off your dirty, stinky laundry, you don't say anything to them, and you pick up nice, clean stuff and don't even give them a tip, right? They, give them a tip next time. They'll feel more appreciated. So anyone ever felt like you felt unappreciated in your job before? Um, I remember a time when I was working at the hospital, <clears throat> and uh, we had a, a total system failure. This was the, the computer system that serviced all of our physician practices, which we had about 150, 200 physician practices throughout several counties, and the complete system went down. And so we were looking at um, the, the possibility of re-entering all of the data that went into it the previous day, or possibly 
all the data that had uh, been entered in the previous week. So we're, we're talking about losing a lot of clinical information, losing uh, thousands of dollars worth of charges. And so um, my team and I, we, we got together and uh, I, I told everybody, stop doing what you're doing, cancel all your, your meetings, let's meet together. And we spent about two hours whiteboarding and brainstorming and trying to figure out how can we recover this data so that they don't have to re-enter all of it. And, uh, and we figured it out through some logs and some backups and doing this and doing that. And uh, we had another system that we could put it into. Long story short, we were able to figure out how to get all of the data back. And I was super excited. I was so proud of my team. And, uh, and so I went to call the director of the physician practice group. He had been calling me a couple of times, and I just put him to voicemail while we were brainstorming. And so um, I called him, and I said, hey, here's the good news. We figured out how to restore all of your data. And he said to me, he says, why didn't you answer my call? I said, well, we were in the middle of brainstorming, and, you know, we just needed to stay focused, and I didn't have an answer for you yet. And he goes, well, why didn't you answer my call? I said, well, okay, what we, we restored all this. I mean, we're going to be able to figure it in like two hours. You're going you're gonna to get all of your data back. And all he wanted to talk about was the fact that I didn't answer his call. And I felt very unappreciated in that moment. Felt very unappreciated. You ever felt that way before? Because what it does is it demotivates you, right? I was kind of like, fine, go ahead. Just re-enter all of that data. You know what I mean? It just, it's, you get that, that feeling. It makes you not want to do anything or at least do anything well. But what does Scripture tell us to do? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, I quoted this last week. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So whatever we do, we're supposed to work at it with all of our heart as if we're working for the Lord. So working hard is the right thing to do, even when people don't appreciate you. Doing the right thing, no matter what it is, can be difficult, especially when people don't appreciate you. But Jesus told us we're supposed to do the right thing. In fact, we're supposed to treat people good no matter how they treat us. He gave us the golden rule in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. It doesn't say, except if they don't appreciate it. It doesn't say that. It says, do the right thing, right, to others. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Treat people with value. And the apostle James makes it even more inclusive when he tells us, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. We're supposed to do the right thing no matter how people treat us, no matter if they appreciate it or not. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes that is hard to do, but we need to do it anyway. So hold that thought. We're in the final couple of weeks of our summer message series titled Fully Committed. And we've been studying Bible characters who were fully committed to their faith, fully committed to God, fully committed to their friends and their, their family. And last week, we had a message titled Fully Committed to Finishing Our Mission. And it was a, a message on Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah who had a wall to complete. He had to build and complete this wall all the way around Jerusalem 
and uh, he had all kinds of opposition to getting it done, but he completed it. He finished his mission. So if you missed that message, you can watch it online. But today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. We're going to learn from the early life of David, not when he was the king like we learned about in the first message of the series when he was King David. We're going to learn about him as a shepherd, and this is a familiar text for most of us. This is the story of David and Goliath. Now, David did the right thing, even though he was very unappreciated. So to set this up, Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king of Israel, and he is the captain of his army, and his army has lined up to face the Philistine army. And so they have the battle lines drawn, and every day, a mighty warrior from the Philistines comes out, and he basically belittles the people of Israel, the, all of the soldiers. He says, come on out here and fight me. Now, no one does because he's nine foot, nine inches tall. He's a monster. He's a giant. It's Goliath. And so every day, he taunts the Israelites, and every day, they back away in fear. So this went on for 40 days. King Saul says, hey, if anyone will go out and fight him, I will, I will exempt your family from taxes. I'll give you a financial reward, and, uh, and you can marry one of my daughters. But yet, not one soldier, not one, would go out and fight Goliath. Well, it's in that context when David shows up. So David is just a young boy. He's a uh, shepherd, and his three oldest brothers are fighting in this battle. So his three oldest, oldest brothers are soldiers in the army. So his dad sends him. He says, go take this food to your brothers and also take this, you know, the snack to his commanders so that they'll treat him well. You know, so the commander's like, well, I, I can't put them in the front line. He's trying to bribe the commander to keep his children safe. So David shows up. And he's bringing this food, and, and he's giving it to his brothers. But he hears Saul, or he hears Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, the army of Israel. And so it's in that moment that he starts to ask some questions. So chapter 17, verse 26, says this. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, <clears throat> this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. When David said, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it 
struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this circumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And most of us know the rest of the story. He confronts Goliath with a sling and a stone. He knocks him down, goes over there, kills him, cuts off his head. The, <laughs> the Israelites then rally behind him and rout the Philistines, and David is known as a hero. He's known as a hero. So today's message is fully committed to doing what is right. Fully committed to doing what is right. Because David was fully committed to defending God's name and defending his people and attacking Goliath. But it wasn't easy. He had to push through some things. So we're going to have a, 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 fill in, a few fill-ins on the back of your handout. And you can fill these in. This is just some, some I, I think, some uh, tips on how David was able to get it done. And we might be able to learn from that. But first, let me pray. God, we come to you and we need your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. So open up our hearts and minds to hear from you. And Satan, we silence all the voices that you are throwing out towards us to try to distract us in the name of Jesus Christ. You have no authority in this place. So we command you to be silent and ineffective in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower me to speak your words today. This is a message we need to hear and we need to apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. So like David, we can be fully committed to doing what's right by, number one, not waiting for someone else to act. Not waiting for someone else to act. Verse 32 says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. See, David had only been at the front lines for, I mean, part of a day. He just showed up with the food. He heard Goliath, you know, saying his, his thing that he had been doing for 40 days. And he immediately says, hey, no, you all won't fight him. I will fight him. He doesn't wait around. He doesn't wait to see if somebody else is going to do it. And it's interesting. This scripture says this has been going on for 40 days. For 40 days, not one warrior stood up and fought Goliath. And they were, they were much better suited than David was. David was just a shepherd boy. These were men that were trained in the army. Even his oldest brother, Eliab, was better suited to fight Goliath than what he was. But yet none of them stepped up. In life, I believe that there are many times when we see what needs to be done, and yet we think that one phrase, right? Someone else will do it, right? I mean, have we ever been there before? You ever been driving down the road, and you see like a log that had a tree limb that fell in the road, and you drive around it, and you think someone else will pull that off to the side of the road. Or, or if somebody is, is pulled over and their car is broken down and we drive by and we think, well, somebody else will help them out. Many, many times we hesitate, we delay, and we wait for someone else to step up. 
Well, if we're going to be fully committed to doing what's right, we can't wait. We can't hesitate. We can't delay. Last weekend, I announced that uh, we are splitting the, the baby's room into a baby's room and a toddler's room, two different rooms. And we're going to allow the babies to, to crawl around on the carpet. It's going to be a bunch of little ones just down there on the carpet. And we didn't want the two and three-year-olds stepping on them. That's pretty much why we did that, right? And so um, Lance and Peggy, this is a photo of them uh, when they got baptized here at the church. Lance and Peggy came up to me and they said, hey, can we come in this week and shampoo the carpet in the baby's room? Because they said... I saw the carpet, it looked dirty, and I wouldn't want my babies crawling on it. So they came in this week, and they moved all the furniture by themselves, and they shampooed the carpet, and actually both of the rooms, um, and they took the initiative. They didn't wait for someone else to do it. And I love that. I love that. Here's a question for us to ask ourselves. What is something I can do, but I've been hesitating or maybe ask yourself, what is something I should do? But I've been hesitating. I've been waiting. And certainly somebody else will, will step up and I don't have to do it. David heard the taunts of the giant. And he looked around and he didn't see anybody taking initiative. And so he just did it. He didn't wait, he didn't wait a day. He didn't wait two days, three days. He just said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he won a mighty battle because of it. You might have heard this quote before. It says, the only thing necessary for, triumph, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Someone once told me that the most powerful demon that Satan has is the one that just, is the big fat demon that just sits on us when we're supposed to move. When we're supposed to take action. And it just forces us into inaction. So we need to take steps. We need to take in the initiative. We, we cannot wait for someone else to act. If we see what needs to be done, we need to move on it. So that's our first point. And that's what David did. So we can be fully committed to doing what's right by not waiting for someone else to act. The second one is this. We can be fully committed to doing what's right by ignoring the naysayers. Ignoring the naysayers. Ignoring the people that don't believe in you. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David took the initiative. He, he faced his fear, and he said, hey, I'll, no one else is doing it. I'll, I'll go after him. And he goes to Saul. He goes to Saul. And what does Saul say? You can't do it. You're not able to do this. Right? And then he says, you're just a young guy. You can't do this. And, and not only does he talk about what he can't do and, and his shortcomings, but then he says about Goliath, but he's been a warrior since his youth. He's a seasoned warrior. He's a great man, and you're just this little guy. You can't do it. That had to be discouraging. I mean, first of all, Saul was his king, and his kings tell him you can't do it. But even more than that, 
Saul was an expert when it came to battle. He had been a warrior. He was the commander of the army. He had been in battles. And so the expert was telling him, it can't be done. You're too small. You're too young. Well, David didn't get discouraged. I mean, it was probably discouraging, but he said, no. Regardless of what you're telling me, I'm still going to face Goliath. And he did. And he won. And the expert was wrong. Sometimes in life, we will take the initiative, we will step up, and well-meaning people in our lives will tell us all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. They will tell us that it's not a good idea. A good example of this is my friend John Burke. I think we have a photo of him here at the church. John has always wanted to go on a mission trip, and so a few years ago, we had an opportunity to go on a mission trip. And so John checked with his doctors, and his doctor said, no, you shouldn't go. Um, heart thing, whatever it was, he said, you, you, you shouldn't go. And so John listened to the expert and didn't go, and then over the last few years, John has been fine. Um, John has worked hard doing lots of things, including many of our outreaches. It hasn't had any physical issues at all. And so we have another mission trip opportunity in February. And um, I talked to John this week, and we were talking about the mission trip. And you know what John told me? He says, I'm not going to ask the doctors this time. I know what they're going to say, right? And so John was the first one to turn in his application for this year's mission trip. Now, I'm not saying we should ignore medical advice, but I am saying this. We should listen to God over the advice of man. Can I get an amen on that? If we look hard enough in this life, no matter what it is we're trying to do for God, someone will tell us a reason why we shouldn't do it. They'll say things like, it's too dangerous. It's too risky. It's too self-sacrificing. It's not good timing. You're too young. And then a few years later, they'll say, you're too old. You know, we... We've had this in the church for a long time. Many, many years they say, well, you're a female. You can't step up. It's been a, that's been one of the naysaying voices. That's not a voice here at Lighthouse. Or they'll say, English isn't your first language. Nobody will follow you. That's just not true either. If we're going to do what's right, if we're going to take action we have to be willing to say no, to silence the naysayers. Because there will always be naysayers if you step up to try to do what God is asking you to do. So here's a question for us today. Have I been the naysayer? Have I been the person telling someone else why they shouldn't do what God is calling them to do? Well, if you have, stop it. Stop it. Someone once said to me, well, I'm just being the devil's advocate. I'm like, no, 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 the devil doesn't need an advocate, right? Why would you want to be the devil's advocate, right? 
That's an insane statement to make. No, be God's advocate. Encourage them. Support them. Pray for them. Trust me, I will be praying for John Burke the entire mission trip. Or maybe the person you've been discouraging the most is yourself. Maybe you are your own worst naysayer. That voice inside your head is telling you all the reasons why you can't do it, or you shouldn't do it, or why you shouldn't step up. And you talk yourself out of doing what God is asking you to do. Remember that scripture from James, James 4, 17 says, if anyone, anyone, that includes all of us, right, then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. It is a sin for them. If we know the good we ought to do and we talk ourselves out of doing it and we don't do it, it is a sin. It is a sin. So we need to ignore the naysayers, even the naysayers in our heads. That's how we can be fully committed to doing what's right. Okay, last point. We can be fully committed to doing what's right by being okay with being misunderstood. Being okay with being misunderstood. David's intentions were pure, but his brother misunderstood it. Verse 28 says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. His immediate response was anger towards David and asked, why have you come down here and with whom have you, did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? So he belittles him first and says, your, your job isn't very important. You're just a shepherd of a few sheep. But then he says, I know how conceited you are. He starts to accuse him. And how wicked your heart is. And then he says this, you came down only to watch the battle. That's not why David came down. David was obeying his father and he came to deliver food to his brothers. That's why he came. But now he's asking questions because God is stirring up in him a desire to fight this giant, right? I mean, that's, that's his intentions. That's what's going on. And his brother is saying, you, are just, you just came here to watch the battle. That's why you're here. You know, if I was David, I would have said, fine, you kill the giant. I'm going back home with my few sheep. That's what I would have said. You know? Because nothing discourages me more than if someone misreads my intentions. I mean, if, if I have a naysayer in my life, the way I'm wired, I'm like, oh, yeah, you think so? It actually motivates me. Naysayers motivate me. But if someone misreads my intentions, man, that is discouraging. Oh, it hurts. And then I don't want to do anything. Because I don't want them to think I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, just this past week, or actually it was a few weeks ago, um, I had, a, I had this, the sense I was supposed to buy something for someone. And, uh, and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy this for them and you know, all these good reasons why. And, and then uh, that person and I were having a conversation and they said, hey, you should, you should buy something for me because this other person bought this for me and you should out outdo them and you know, this kind of a thing. And, and I was like, oh, 
I can't, I can't buy you anything now because you're going to think I'm just responding to, you know, that, that conversation or, or think that I'm trying to one-up somebody else. And so I didn't buy them anything. And the reality is, is that I was supposed to buy them something. God had told me to do that. But then I didn't because I was concerned about what they were going to think about it, that they were going to misunderstand my intentions. Isn't that sad? That we cannot do what God has asked us to do, has made it clear that we're supposed to do because we're worried about what somebody else is going to think. They're going to read into it. Now, you'll be glad to know I did buy them this thing this week because I was convicted by my own message. So... Being misunderstood hurts. It's demotivating. So let me just say this with all the pastoral authority I have. If you're worried about what other people think, stop it. Don't listen to what other people think or what you think they're going to think or what they say. Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do regardless of what other people think. There's only one jury and one judge and that's God and God alone. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the Holy Spirit just, just showed me the opposite of that, which is there are some people here who are doing something because they care about what other people think. Your motivation is you want to please somebody else, and that's, that's not right either. God judges the hearts. Man judges outward appearance, right? God judges the heart. So keep your heart pure before God. Do what he says to do, and do it for the right reasons. Don't do what makes you look good. And conversely, do it even if it doesn't make you look good. We will have to stand before God one day and we will have to give an account of every wrong thing we did. But even more than that, we're gonna have to give an account of everything we were supposed to do and we didn't do. I think in my life, that's gonna be a longer list, right? Hey, you were supposed to do this and you didn't. You were supposed to, and you didn't, and you, right? That's called the, smith, the, the sin of omission. We have sins of commission, ones we commit, and then we have sins because we omit doing what we were supposed to do. Here's your last fill-in. It's a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It says, the time is always right to do what's right. Today's a good day to do what's right. So like David, we can be fully committed to doing what's right. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.